Welcome to the Exponential Minds Podcast. The research, development, launch, and growth of new technologies is creating incredible momentum in the modern world. Join futurist Nicholas Badminton as he talks with the innovators and the exponential minds that are tackling some of the biggest problems and creating solutions that are propelling humanity to the next level. Hello and welcome to the next episode of Exponential Minds. My name is Nicholas Bamson. I'm a futurist. I help my clients look out 5, 10, 20 years into the future so that we can build a more equitable and positive future for all. And to, on today's episode, I'm incredibly excited. And this is long overdue, a conversation with Chris Dancy, who's touted as the most connected man on earth. And the world is watching those connections carefully. For 25 years, Dancy has served in leadership within the technology and healthcare industries, specializing in the intersection of two. Chris entered the public dialogue concerning digital health as the media started to focus on wearable technologies. And he earned his moniker by utilizing up to 700 sensors, devices, applications, and services to track, analyze, and optimize his life from his cal- calorie intake to spiritual well being. This, qualif- this quantification enables him to see the connections of otherwise invisible data, resulting in dramatic upgrades to his health, productivity, and quality of life. And today, Chris helps organizations and audiences on a journey, a disruptive, breathtaking journey, as he calls it, into the future of computing when behavior becomes the ultimate interface. Chris is one of my favorite keynote speakers out there, uh, speaking about what it means to be a cyborg in the modern world. And Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. You know, every time I hear someone read that, I I remember that at one point I paid someone to craft that. (laughs) So so sometimes when I go on stage and people have downloaded my entire about page and it takes them five minutes to read it. it. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not a good feeling. Right. But so Uh, I I usually just say it's usually just tell the moderator. I'm like, just because they like, want to do what you just said. So I just say, just when you introduce me, just say, Google most connected. Just those two words, Chris. And then, because like, everyone, everyone's going to Google you anyway. Right. And I, I Googled most connected. I went to your website. I Googled most connected. And yeah, you're, you're all over <clears throat> the, the uh, you know. 34 the countries. Thing. 34 countries. That's and in their native languages. Most connected. You get me. That's absolutely amazing. And Right? Um, it's interesting, Chris. We first came across each other um, at Cyborg Camp in Portland in 2013. In Portland? Yeah. I was, I would, I I was at, I don't think we, yeah, I don't think we were chatting, but you, you, I think you were at that, that, at Portland Cyborg Camp um, organized by Amber Case. Then I chatted to her and said, hey, Amber, why don't I do this in Vancouver? Then I did it in Vancouver the next year, and you came to that as well. I went to that too. Uh, At that point, I was in the news. And you were in the news, and you were starting to quantify and capture everything, and that was awesome. About 140 people came from all over the world to that one, so that was amazing. But then I sort of watched as you became this incredible (laughs) person out in the world, connected. And you know, at that point in time, you, you you were a little heavier. 
as an individual and your journey um, was not only from what you looked like but how you thought and then how you went into um, becoming this kind of cyborg philosopher in, in a way you know mindful <laughs> cyborgs uh, podcast your MIT yeah. um, cyborg Talk, camp yeah. lecture yeah. was incredible everyone should go and watch that but, you know, Chris, can you just take us on a, a little bit of a journey on the last few years and how you became the most connected man in the world? Well, gosh, I think you nailed it. So I think if you jump back from 2012 to 2008, 2008, I turned 40 and I weighed about 320 pounds. I don't know that in kilos. Do you? Um, Alexa. It's a, it's, it's a lot. It's about. Who's yeah, going to ask it's Alexa? A it's a lot. Yeah. We just say it's fat in kilos. It's OK. Alexa. Yeah. <laughs> um, so no, I was I, I turned forty, and uh, you know I spent a lot of time being employed, unemployed, angry. I uh, smoked a lot, drank a lot, been on antidepressants for twenty two years at that point. Benzodiazepines for ten of those twenty two. Um, it was it was interesting, but at that time in two thousand eight, I also was kind of successful. It's like I was really well known for database systems believe it or not like i was right. like the guy you hired like 9-11 i built all the systems that was when the planes were coming down all that kind of stuff so i was weirdly well known for something that most people would know about today so long story short i just it dawned on me hey why don't i kind of watch what's going on so from 2008 to 2012 when i saw you in portland at cyborg camp i yeah. constructed a bunch of little micro programs using rss and yahoo pipes all those things to grab data when i did anything digital and put it on a calendar but what really made that interesting more than just a busy calendar was I then sort of categorizing like this is social media and this is my environment and this is this. So the calendar allowed me to see really simply what my days were like. So imagine like if you could have an automatic diary. So that was pretty cool because then by 2012, so that was the beginning of me between that and 14, actually automating the reactions to data. So if you just collect enough data about yourself, that's interesting. You can Google and like, oh my gosh, I remember that day, just like Facebook tells you. But the really amazing thing is you then can say, okay, when you see three or four of this, tell me no more. When you see two or three of these and you know another one usually comes with an hour, at a half an hour, tell me, be careful. So think of it as GPS kind of for like, if, if you knew the same drive and th that drive is behaviors as a... You could yeah. say, hey, don't do this. So slowly, you know, and some of the first things that went were smoking, um, being able to stop the antidepressants, um, uh, not getting as angry, because uh, like I had just a simple sensor in my office, I still have it to the state. If I speak too loud, the lights dim, right? Um, uh, be controlling what I eat. So literally just putting money to effort. <laughs> you can eat anything you want if it's over $10 for a single meal, but anything less than $5 for a single meal, you better walk to. Right. You know, just simple things that like we take for granted when I say that a lot of people are like, I know that. But like back then, it was like not obvious to me. And I think nowadays people are more used to being plugged in and watching everything be counted. So and people and people back then weren't telling you, you know, they, they didn't want to tell you that the cheap meal was going to be particularly bad for you. You know, they, they just made the drive through bigger. Right. Yeah. Especially in America, you got double drive throughs you know, and, right, like, exactly. and then you got all this anxiety about <laughs> drive through uh, protocol. Like, oh, I was here first. You know, damn, it's a French fry chill. So. um, So, yeah. So by 2014, I kind of, I, you know, I, at Cyborg Camp, this guy from Wired was behind me, wrote an article about it. And then I was in, uh, I can't remember, Bloomberg or something like that, picked up a story. 2014, they put me on the cover of Bloomberg Business Week for the global tech issues, most disruptive person outside of Silicon Valley you've never heard of. And then 15, I'm uh, in TED Talk in 14. And then in 15, I kind of had this like 
thing, this juggernaut of a career. I was like, everyone knew who I was. Like, you know, world's most connected. That's pretty cool. But I was still working for companies. Do you know what I mean? So like, yeah. I still had like legit real jobs. I hadn't become like a thing yet where you like, we'll talk about thing. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. But like, yeah. so then in 15, I got uh, Showtime approached me uh, and wanted to do a, a, a special called Darknet. Um, and I did that. And then that got, that's on Netflix today. Um, and then that was also the beginning of the con the deal for my book contract, which I then signed in 16. So 14, 15, 16 was kind of, I always think of it as my, it was the escape philosophy, uh, escape velocity to break out of, I have to go to an office. Right. Because it's not that I don't want, I would love to go in office today, but no one will hire you when you're as Googleable as I am. You're like, when you've right. got TV shows and books, people think that you don't need to work. And that's not true. TV shows and books. The reason stars don't stop after a hit series, because it doesn't pay the bills, it pays the bills <laughs> then. Yeah. Um, so it was this really interesting time. So 14, 14 to 16 was really about me industrializing or commercializing kind of what I knew how to do which I am still kind of surprised we talk about it. But today in 2020, you know, five years later, you can look at your phone and see your screen time. You can look at your phone and see your activity. I mean, all these things, you know, things weren't, are no longer new. But to your point, kind of the, the, the cyborg philosopher also dawned in that time, which was, right. you know, oh shit, this is happening to everyone. They just don't have as much of a hand in it as I did. Yeah. What does it truly mean to the individual? But what does it truly mean for society and the relationships that you have within it, right? Yeah, I mean, everyone, I hate to say it, but everybody now is is linked through a pane of glass. And But that's been that way for over 10 years. We just talk about now because of the pandemic. But again, we've put software controls around emotions. And I, I did it early. I did it often. And I think I know what works. And I think we're, you know, again, we can go deeper into this. But I think there are some dangerous things we're doing when it comes to how we treat ourselves and other people because we can treat people like preferences and not people you know was this inevitable you know i mean i i did a lecture earlier today and i spoke about douglas engelbart in 1968 mm. doing the mother of all uh -huh. demos and yeah. there it was every single piece of of interface yeah. technology and whatever that we're going to play you know that we that we use for zoom calls and whatever and you know all the way back to like when man picked up a stone and used that yeah. to crack an egg open or whatever right you know is is this was this completely inevitable that we were going to end up being these transhumanist cyborgs and is it inevitable that many people deny that that's who they are and and want to try and normalize everything to be this new you know normalized functional state of society i think there are two competing things going on machines need to be homogenized and people need to be individualized. And what we've got right now, and the reason culture feels so frenetic is you've got those two competing forces, right? So machines need to be made simple. Every interface, you know, now here we are 10 years later, 80% of the population has a smartphone. So if you do this or this, they know exactly what you mean. Right. 10 years ago, no one would know. So right. we've been homogenized as individuals, but as individuals, we've now we're trying to find new ways we can do this so the cult of celebrity the cult of authenticity all this kind of bs i don't know if i can swear but all the type sure. of shit you see all the kind of shit you see online yeah. um you see as soon as i said that my mind went to he has to throw a flag now in his podcast right i couldn't even swear without thinking about the interface function that i wouldn't be involved with down the road but that's how <laughs> broken i am but yeah. most people would say you're repaired but that's a whole other story so yeah i do think that's it and, and as far as yeah. inevitability Again, you know, I'm working on class with IBM and Oxford uh, right now about modern mindfulness. And 
you know, just this morning we're working on like one of the parts of it. And I said, you know, I said, what's the goal of this? And I'm going, I don't know. I said, okay. Can we make the goal of this section, destigmatizing technology? Like we've got to take the stench off of technology and right. how you use it. And, and there's something wrong with you. And I, I'm not advocating people get chipped or go all Kurzweilian. That's just not my deal. I mean, I think we're further than Kurzweil could have expected if we just look at our behaviors and responses to interface. I'm talking about, can we make people not feel like shit because people are walking around judging them for not looking up because they're worried or depressed and they're, and they're trying to find someone who would share their feelings. Can we make that okay? Yeah. Like, oh, okay, Chris. Okay. You're right. I'm like, okay, whatever. And oftentimes we, we, we uh, people are trying to do that in social media and such like anyway, just to have a voice. I mean, you can, you know, there's an, you know, someone that's on Facebook or Instagram and they're taking selfies or they're taking pictures of, the, of their lunch or whatever, they're, they're, they're kind of crying out to say, hey, you know, I'm okay or I want to be okay, right? And this, I, these, I mean, they, come on, come on. Let's be, let's, let's be, let's be gentle. I love you. So let's be gentle. I mean, we all have done it. Like, like yeah. everyone oh, goes yeah. through. I always tell people I have a self, I have a, a cyborg, a rating scale. And it go, walks you through these, these, these steps. Cause everyone goes through the selfie phase. Like, cause everybody, right. it's like a baby finding a mirror. Like the first time you realize you can flip your camera. It's like, like damn it. I just want to just take, I love myself. Like yeah, it's anywhere I have a mirror and I can yeah. put filters on it. So yeah, I do think that people who do that sort of thing are, I think there's some messaging there, but I think that's yeah. the other thing, Nicholas is we have to be real careful when we say that taking selfies is a cry for help. Cause somebody will hear this voicemail, this call who still take selfies. Right. And, and people right. that actually take selfies, that it isn't a cry for help, but it's a, it's a cry for, for, being, uh, for, for garnering uh, celebrity. I want to talk a little bit more about this. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to get too sensitive. I was just like, no, oh, no, it's all good. No, let's do yeah. this. Uh, you know, let's talk about this cyborg rating scale, right? I mean, you talked about implanted chips and whatever. I've got an I've got a implant in my left hand from the inimitable uh, Emil Grafstra from DangerousThings.com. Yeah. Um, and that was at a conference after, that I did the year after Cyborg Camp in, in Vancouver. And, uh, you know, where am I on, on the Cyborg rating scale? But I don't have Facebook and I don't have Instagram. So, so am yeah. I in this like in-between area? No. So what I do when the, on my Cyborg rating scales, I, I broke it down into six areas where like you, you get a point for each area and then depending on right. what you do. So, I mean, if you've got an implantable, then you, you just get a point up in that area. I can show you, I can share the screen with you or I can send you a copy of it. Sure. Um, but the idea is I just want to be able to have people get a score and like, you know, zero to one points is human. Uh, one to three is augmented, four to six is quantified, six to eight is human plus, nine to 10 is human, uh, transhuman stage one, 10 plus is stage two. Right. Um, but to me, it's just because I don't think people realize how plugged in they are. Right. Like a lot of people and they go 600 sensors. What are you, you know, where are they all? I'm like, do you not realize how many things are tracking you right now? Like the problem isn't that I'm absurd. It's that you're unaware. Right. Right. No, but you know, um, having a lack of awareness is how a lot of big business makes money from this stuff. Right. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. I mean, you know, how, how, do, how do we build in morals and ethics into, into all of these interfaces so that when you do what well, I just, just literally uh, had an interview on Sirius XM and there was this, uh, th this large company that runs malls in Canada where I live. 
And uh, they, they put in this uh, self-help kiosks, information kiosks, that were taking pictures of people and then storing that information in databases. And then they could derive, you know, emotion and age and who was stood with them and whatever. And, you know, but I was talking about having the ability to opt out or the ability to earn money from that transaction or the ability to, to just have those systems shut down when they're in the vicinity of them, you know? But people don't think like this. I mean, it's difficult to design those kinds of mechanisms, right? Well, I think that the challenges in that, I think, I mean, it's so funny. I, I'm sure like you, you get approached by a bunch of businesses who think they've figured something out and they're, yeah. they're going to change the world. Like, I, you know what? If we took all your data, we could sell it. Even Andrew Yang has an entire website now about like, we're going to make you monetize it. I'm like, Andrew, and like that people are doing that for 10 years. It's not going to happen. What people want is they want shit easy. Right. And then like, all the data we use now is just to get convenient stuff, like instantly send me anything. I'll give you my mother's data. So right. that's the messaging. We need to rephrase the messaging that, OK, not only is the coffee free and we'll pay you, but like you won't have to talk to any humans. Like more data goes into removing people from a process than it goes into actually making a process simpler which is kind of when you talk about ethics, that's really where the ethics problem is. Isn't that we don't think about ethics. We don't think about like, how would you define ethical behavior? Because technology, again, it has to be homogenized and people have to be individualized. So then where is that? Where do those two things meet? But you know, I'll be honest, most days I'm just depressed because it's like, it's so simple now for me. Like I feel almost like I'm outside of time and reality because I watch all this stuff going on and go, okay, this is what it feels like. This is what it feels like to watch people hopelessly distracted and i don't think that's a technology thing i think that's a human thing but it's a human thing that's been put under the microscope because now we're collecting all the data that's saying here it is right <laughs> it's, it's over there it, it's like uh, I, I liken it to once you learn enough information about something um you can stand in a city and, and watch people on the street and it's like neo from mm. the matrix yes 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 that's and that's how it feels yeah and, but i try not to use cyborg ref or sci-fi references because then people think oh he's really weird but it's strange so like even now with co-workers or my husband because i'm married now i wasn't married when i yep. met you and also other kind of stuff it's just like i sometimes just kind of i don't know just feel strangely detached but in a way that's comforting until i'm forced to then re-engage in the fact that someone wants to talk about something that i understand the eventuality of already so i've just gotten to the point now with most of my friends here if something starts going down the road i don't want i go listen i love you six months we're going to set a timer and i will talk about it in six months and on my side i'm going to write down what's going on on your side you're going to write down what you want to go on and we're going to see yeah. which who's right i'm always right the yeah. problem is data just gives you the ability right and just paying attention because you see how that's going to go the only yeah. variable that you really can't control is when you start to allow yourself to become slightly spiritual and i think that's why my evolution went kind of from the mindful philosopher into kind of the woo woo pagan techno pagan thing that i do now which is like i needed some serendipity and the only way i could get it was engineer it yeah it's interesting when when i started doing the biohacking thing and i you know do emdr and it fixed a whole bunch of ptsd and then you know there was a whole world of psychedelics that you could sort of uh, look at and for the potential you know, over, over the years, I became a lot more like, you know, this is about healing trauma. This is about love and whatever. And, mm. and now the, the things that I do to augment myself are deeply human, like whether right? it's a, an emotional code session or, or psych K, I'm not sure if you've heard of these things, but, um, or, you know, NLP work or, or mm. really work into 
disrupt how we think and what we learn from the ages of zero to six years old, right? But, yeah. you know, what, what's the eventual trajectory? I mean, what, what is the trajectory of humanity right now? I mean, is, is it like one size fits all? Everyone's going to um, fit to, you know, one or more of these hundred systems that are out in the world, and that will determine their personality, their, their ability to be recognized, the potential of future earnings, the education level or whatever. Is, is that where we are now? Or, or can we sort of shirk off all of these systems and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to go an alternative route? You know, I, 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 my publisher said to me once, you know, you need to write a book about, you know, just not doing all these things. I said, you know, being digitally Amish isn't an option. Like we believe we are, but like, again, that creates more of the, you know, no tech good, tech bad. And like, right. the one thing like my Buddhist mindful cyborg phase taught me, it was like, don't make a duel, but which is weird because all tech, tech, most of tech is binary unless you get into quantum stuff, but then you have to go to D-Wave up in Canada. Yeah. And also I will leave that for another conversation. So yeah. I, I personally think the way it works is just, and it's because I'm very dystopian, it's just a mass homogenization. homogenization. I just think everyone ends up becoming very similar, which again, is just going to amplify the problems, but it'll also accelerate the solutions. Yeah. And, and back in the day, that was culture and it was like the clothing and the makeup or the yeah. body yeah. augmentation and whatever. And today it's, yeah. you know, the $2,000 iPhone, right? Yeah. Or, or whatever, you know, it's like this. Yeah, is and your phone, again, let's go there. Your phone gives a, a certain class of people the ability to do things. It started with blue text, green text. And yeah. then it's like, which version of the phone are you on? Can you actually, there was a time in 15 where you could only send haptic heartbeats if two people had watches. So like your right. ability to, just like on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, your ability to share emotions is limited by the interface. On Twitter, you have two emotions. On Facebook, you have five. On LinkedIn, you have six. Yeah. But like even your devices allow you a certain amount of emotional presence with each other. So there's this capitalistic bent that's absolutely toxic that's built into keeping up. It's not about the latest device. It's about, I mean, we can act like that's what it is, but in the reality, you know, like even when the, the phone started getting the really fancy cameras on them and some people have those portrait shots and then everybody on Twitter, like their photos were their portrait shot. And then as soon as the Animoji, everybody had Animoji, right? And like, why don't we call that out? <laughs> why don't we call that out? That is such bullshit. Because they were just forcing people to get the latest. Sorry, you got me. You're making me so ranty today, Nicholas. No, but that's good. Ranting's good. I mean, th th these are these are sensitive times. And and when, when we see whether it's a new version of a phone or a new emoji gets released, or you know, there's like this cultural dissonance that that it, you know can be felt. It it's sort of like energy in the world, right? Especially yep. if you're speaking to younger people. Um, you know, you can just feel, you know, I, I interviewed uh, Melissa Escobegi in the first episode of this season of, of the podcast. And, you know, we talked about, you know, the, the new ascension of Twitter to OnlyFans and, you know, TikTok as being this new renaissance of power in the world. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's insane. But like um, one of the things yeah, that K I K-pop is a political party. Do you know what? I didn't realize the power of K-pop until I was right? sat in Seoul for an afternoon. And I, I was scrolling through TV like five hours later, and I'd literally watched something like 140 different K-pop bands on a right. channel dedicated to it. And it's like, I kind of get it. This is, this is literally like, th these are people that are trying to create hope to get out of these skyscrapers. Right? And these are, this is like the, the new religion in a way, right? I mean, again, Amber Case, I know you want to, I'm just, I'm going to just say her name once. I'm going to invoke sure. cyborg godmother once. Amber Case was so <laughs> prescient on all this, yeah. right? 
yeah. everything from the talk in 2010 to the fact that she was, you know, Ghost in the Shell and uh, Serial, uh, Serial Lane, uh, the, the anime. She nailed all of it. But I think it just comes down to deeply neurotypical people talking about things that make them feel safe eventually right. become culture, which eventually becomes commercialized. Right, right. And, and on, on that point as well, you, you, you write about, you know, social and health and, and other aspects of life after applications, after screens, <laughs> you know, the invisible internet. People get very only... angry. People get very angry with life after screens. No, what are you talking about? What, what will I complain about? Yeah. But, you know, we're going into a world like, you, I mean, machine learning. I talk about augmented reality a lot today. I think that's going to be a huge world. You know, um, you were wearing Google Glass back in the day and uh, <laughs> a lot of people thought it was pretty silly, but you know, all the way through Magic Leap and, and the other um, things that are going to be coming, it was just a drop in the ocean, right? But like what, what no happens? One, but, but what no one could have foreseen, again, you just nailed it. What no one could have foreseen is how AR and VR and all the other things literally have a neurological component that happened before them. So many right. people already walk around with neurological AR. They already see things through a filter that they would then film it on, right? We have, we, these are deeply embedded skills that we carry with us. And again, young people are not weird because they think like this or do this. They're, they're natural. So like if you have kids, I mean, we have a 10 year old, right? So it's just like, I learned, it's like, okay, this is not weird for me to think that this is happening because it's happening. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I've got a I've got a thirteen week year old, uh, a thirteen week old. Sorry, and um, he's amazing, and I'm learning lots from him. And I'm 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 how hard it is to keep him away from any screens or any technology at all. Right. Yeah, you know, even children's toys are built with some kind of link and a, a progressive next step into the technological world or the screen or whatever. Right? It's kind of weird. Yeah. So I mean, well, we're, we're, you know, Native Americans like we we don't we don't. We don't hate on Native Americans because they traded beads like beads was their thing. Like and like just like when people say, like, wow, but kids always want screens. We, people want anything shiny like it's less. <laughs> this is not unique. This is yeah, not unique. People still want to spend like three million dollars on a yellow pinky ring diamond. I think I think P Diddy did that once, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. it's it's not enough to have the recognition. You want to have you know the loot, the treasure. You know, modern pirates. Of, don't you of, find of, personally, Nicholas? Don't you find personally that status is 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 changing? To me, like it's just changing. To me, it's like, it, do you notice it? Do you know what I'm talking about? That status is no longer a thing. Status isn't status anymore. Do you notice this? It, 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 it does seem to be like, you know, influencers and, and whatever is a certain thing. It doesn't feel like status to me anymore. It just feels like celebrity. Like, I, I mean, I grew up in the UK, which is a class system. It still is a class system. This is why Brexit happens. And, you know, the class system is, is being perpetuated. When I came to, to live in Canada, that, that was all gone. In terms of status here, it's like, hey... It, are they a nice person or are they not a nice person? Are they going to do good for the community or are they not? That's how it works in Canada. I go down to the States and it, it's kind of similar, but it's just heavily politicized as well. Right. So I, I don't know whether it's a, a status thing. Um, a more I, I, like I, see, a, I think status is crumbling. I, I think yeah. status, I think celebrity, I think celebrity crumbled. If there's anything that the pandemic did kill, it's celebrity. I mean, the backlash against celebrities at the beginning, I don't know what it was like in Canada. But it was all the, you know, we're in this together, you know, from there. Yeah. There's so many articles written about, you know, so now they're all sensitive, right? So now yeah. they're like Ryan Reynolds. They have to take all this time to make videos that humanize them, right? And it's just like, dude, you, you, you know, you're not going to fool me. Like, you know, it's the haves and have nots. But what I'm noticing is 
once celebrity crumble, I think we're seeing that that the end of influencer because at the end of the day, influencers are on a hamster wheel to their message because you can't right. change it. Right. And I just think for me, my success was always like, could I get paid to do what I want, but be able to change my mind? Right. That is like to ultimate success. I can feed and clothe my family, but I'm not tied to the message that people need me to have. Because to me, once you get influencer and celebrity, you're tied. You're done. Right. Like you got it. That's like, that's really, I don't know if this may even make sense, but I think about this all yeah. the time. Like no real success is like how I spend my time, not what I have to do. But you know, this, is, this is why I had a really interesting conversation about TikTok the other week. And it's you know, the biggest people on TikTok are 16-year-olds that have got a purity about who they are. And they just, they just like dancing in front of a phone. Yeah. It's all good. you know. Yeah. And it's like, ah, this is interesting. Then what happens? The industry gets on top of them and says, now we must put you into these pockets of, you know, now yeah. you've got representation. Now you can do advertising. Now you can present an yeah. award at the Billboard Awards or like Addison right. Ray or whatever. Ding, 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 ding. And so, so now like culture, you know, cu culture is, is killing the idea of that purity in a way. And the culture is kind of corrupted as well. So how do, yeah. you know, do we need technology to to basically fight against culture, you know, is, is this like modern tribalism where we all get together and say, we're not going to take this and we're, we're, we're really angry and look at us talk about this a lot. Or is this something we can do on a personal level? Or is it just too difficult to do on a personal I, level? I think, I think, you know, I say in one of my talks, the only thing to beat a bad system is a better one. Uh, right. I, I personally think the war that we'll see in the next 20 years will be with technology. You know, it won't be like hackers and or indie web coming to same the day. You know, I have this nice chart that I created that kind of talks about the Internet and then talks about yeah. um, um, networks and, or networks and things and the Internet. And then it talks about social networks. And then the next evolution would be um, you know, support networks, all these kind of Kickstarters and you know, go, GoFundMe's and then kind of these these creator networks, which rather than took their place where you can like somebody does one job and you pay them like, you know, coffee and all these other types of services, Patreon, you know, just, it's for a right. person, not for a cause. But now we've got this thing that I, I like to focus on a lot, which is mutual aid networks, whereas people or groups of people build or low code, no code or whatever they want, small solutions to fix a single problem in a community. And when that's done, they move on. I kind of see that ant mentality. It's like a bunch of ants getting to, to fix something kind of the thing that starts to topple down capitalism. I think that's, that's what we were doing. It wasn't Bitcoin. It was people agreeing to build a spreadsheet together. It sounds like you need to come and live in Canada. It seems like you're <laughs> the way that you're looking at the world is, is very sort of like libertarian Canadian in a way. So I don't know anymore. Um, I'd come and live in Canada just because I think Justin Trudeau is hot, but that's just me as a 50 year old gay guy. <laughs> well, you know, but there, there's the problem with uh, politics in Canada at the same time, basically. I didn't say I wanted to vote for him. I want to go out to dinner with him. <laughs> Well, no, and this is it. Like in one sentence, you've described the problem with uh, with politics and the prime minister. Well, he, mm. and certainly what people think about him uh, up here. Okay, I so I mean, sorry, I, sorry, I, I, I missed where you were going with that. I get it now. No, it's all good. What are the next steps for us? Like, you know, if we were gonna if we were gonna choose a path in the next sort of three to five years, sort of outside of political realms, outside of of sort of societal realms, but from a you know, if, if I'm going to walk out of the door and buy a certain amount of technology to make my life incredible in the next five years, what should I go and buy? Oh, my God. I don't think anything, really. I mean, all everything we need is here. I mean, that's that's the good thing. I, I definitely would say, if, you know, if you're focusing on the next. First of all, let me just back up a minute. Yeah. If you're below 50, 
you've really got to get your act together because it is so such a tenuous time. Now, right. if you're below 10, don't worry about it. If you're below 20, you probably are going to be fine once you get to your 30s. Yeah. If you're between 20 and 30, you already know what I'm talking about. If you're between 30 and 50, you feel it. You just don't know what it is. I think we need to radically retool the world. You know, if I'll do, I'll give you the answer in two things. The first thing is what we need to do for everyone. We need to close all schools for two years, retrain every teacher and every student on just how to think, what to do, how technology works, just like re-engineer. We don't need solar power as much as we need people seats and butts talking about what your phone does and how it figures it out. That's group one. Group two, we need every single adult who's not in that two-year reschool and teacher who's not in that sitting down and looking at relationships and technology. So this is this, this is this. And just literally for, for like a day or two, because I think we have a real problem right now that a majority of the public either knows how to perform a service for someone else or send an email to someone else. And that's all they know how to do. Right. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very sort of, I don't think cool. buy anything. Sorry. I just, I, I just, I think we're way beyond buying anything. I think yeah. too many people get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to send email. Right. Well, and this is the worry about, you know, um, automated systems and the end of, of human employment, what I call, you know, algorithm, algorithmic employment, step one, yeah. step two, step three, th- step four. If you can, enco- if, if you can define it on a piece of paper, you can encode it and then you yes. don't need that person in the corner. Right. So, so th- many people I, won't I, even do the. So many people won't do the first step. I can't tell you how uh, many clients I have to say this, like, can you build me this? I'm like, can you draw it? You know, and that's that's the problem is like even I just wish we could just even talk about that. I mean, my, my spouse is a school teacher, like, right? And I was talking to him today and I, you know, he was, I said, you know, it's, you got the old carrot stick thing. He goes, no, it's, I've also got a wind problem. I said, what's that? He goes, they don't even want to eat anymore. So we have to push them toward the food. I'm like, well, that used to be the carrot. He goes, no, no, no. You know, I mean, that used to, I said that used to be the stick. It's just I think fundamentally we have such unique human problems because we don't have that many problems anymore. I think so many people feel like there's so many problems. Well, not really. I mean, everything you do with your technology can kind of like save your time, but no one's spending it in the right way. But that also, there's no way for people to really understand like their problems are a lot different than they were 10 years ago. And there can be a lot different 10 years from now. So like if, if, if you agree that everyone is not getting out alive, like no one's getting out alive. This is like, everyone's going to die. Then the next thing you have to say, okay, then what problems do we fix to change the quality of your life? And, you know, I'll end with this. My whole thing is, you know, it's what you, the only difference between the rich and the poor is how they spend their time. So like find a way to spend your time that makes it good for you and gives you time to support others. It's like, that's, it's not that hard. Yeah. I made I sure when it. we bought, I'm, I'll say, I made sure when we bought this house, that my husband and I could both keep our house and all our cars, and all of our stuff by working at McDonald's part-time. So I figured out what the McDonald's literally a block away paid for two part-time people, 30 hours a month and made sure our bills. So we just lowered our footprint. Now, do we make more money? Yes. But like, no, just focus on your time and then the rest will sort itself out. So I think on that point, and we could talk about this stuff for hours and we'd probably get angrier and angrier and probably get happy and sad and all the other emotions yeah. that are really human. Um, Chris Dancy, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly excited to have had this conversation with you. I, I, I really look forward to what's happening next. What's, what's going on in your world and what's, what's happening? I mean, I've got a few things. I mean, I'm doing a, I just did a big article for Nokia um, about, technology in the future they're having me keynote their conference 
coming up. Um, I just did the IBM uh, World Mindfulness Day event. I think that'll be out for other people to see soon. I know they streamed it live. Uh, I mean, I miss, I mean, I, I miss kind of, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. I mean, I used to get paid yeah. to travel and speak, so I can't do that yeah. anymore. Um, yeah. I'm working on a, a new book about uh, tooling our values instead of valuing our tools. So basically using your technology to map to your values. Cause I'm just, I'm seeing this really odd trend that, you know, people act one way here and another way there and one way in this app and another way in this app. And so of saying, this is who I am and the apps will work for me. Yeah. Uh, so this people really are starting to understand values. So I'm working on that new book. I have an app called our balance. That's really cool that I spent two years building and it looks at population well-being, which I call well-doing. So like you could just look at your neighborhood and how they're doing, not individually because it's all anonymous right. on the edge. Um, Simple things like that. I mean, they're not simple things, but like to me, it's like, that's hot. I was just like, I don't know. I still have not tried microdosing or I still haven't done anything with psychedelics. You know, my biohacking game is not as strong as most, but man, again, I always come back to like the strongest thing I can biohack is my mind and it's pretty much weaponized. Right. <laughs> and on that point, thank you very much, Chris Dancy, the world's <laughs> most connected person. Um, just, just, just Google most connected, right, Chris? Yeah, just those two words. I'm going for most. It used to be most connected man. That was most connected person. I just want most. I'm hoping somewhere in this decade, you can just Google most. That's, that's when you become truly transcendent and a celebrity <laughs> that we all must know, right? right. <laughs> okay, Chris, thank you so much. And it's uh, fantastic to chat to you. I, I look forward to, to your writings and your books. And uh, yeah, I'm going to put some links down to some of uh, the, the keynotes that I've seen Chris do that I think everyone should watch um, in the description. So Chris Dancy, thanks so much. Thank you so much.